0: Welcome. Here at Waterstone, we focus on living and loving like Jesus. In practice, this means that we connect with one another, engage in justice, and serve others sacrificially. We are so glad that you're here and invite you to join us in person. If you're able to attend weekend services, we gather on Saturday at 5.30 and Sunday at 9 and 10.30. Uh, In addition to everything Bruce listed about what he does for our church, he's actually also spent the last number of years uh, on the mission field, um, both uh, overseas and then assisting and caring for missionaries. And this afternoon is actually his retirement party um, after a long life in ministry. And he's looking forward to, to time with grandkids. So we're so thankful for his ministry. Um, and he told me to tell you that you are all invited to his retirement party this afternoon. Um, he didn't give me the location, um, but you're welcome to, to try to find it if you want to. we um, <laughs> were very thankful for Bruce. Uh, and his prayer sets up perfectly the book of Acts. We are diving in. uh, today to an eight-week series looking at the Acts of the Apostles. We're going to be walking Acts 1 through Acts 12 this fall and then we're going to pick the book back up again uh, next spring. Uh, After a break for Advent and the beginning of the new year. But really excited to be diving back into this book. I I think it's a timely book for us. Because I think, um, and you will probably agree with me, that the church is kind of at a crossroads in our society and our culture at the moment. I mean, if you look statistically at the last few years and things that have been happening at the church, both statistically and even anecdotally, uh, the church is at a crossroads. Most churches are reporting that their attendance post COVID is down 20 to 50% across the board. Doesn't matter what size they are. Um, and we know uh, statistically that many people are leaving the church. That young people are leaving the church in droves. Uh, we also know that most growth that's happening in churches right now is not conversion growth. It's not people coming to faith. It's sheep stealing, as we like to call it in the church world. It's just sheep jumping from different pastures and going to different places. Um, and so there's there's a lot of movement there. There's kind of things that are happening in the church, and, and kind of a, I think a microcosm of of where the Churches at in America right now is Barna is reporting that in most of their national surveys, up to 40% and over 40% of pastors in some surveys have questioned um, and deeply wrestled with whether or not they should quit uh, the ministry in the last few years. Um, Which I think aside from just being like a microcosm of of what's happening in the church right now, I think it means we should be praying for Larry um, just profusely and pouring out uh, for him. Because it's a hard time to be a pastor, um, but it's a hard time to be a Christian in America today. And what does it mean to be a faithful witness to Jesus as we are encountering all of these cultural shifts? What does it mean to be a faithful witness to Jesus as as our kind of country and our society moves into a post-Christian, post-modern, secular, pluralistic world? What does it look like to faithfully bear witness to the person of Jesus Christ? And, And I'm sorry if that's the question I kind of keep coming back to, but it's the question I'm deeply wrestling with, and I think it's the question the church has to get right in order to reach our society for the gospel, the people in our spheres of influence. And in order to go forward, I think we have to go back. And so we're going to be diving into the book of Acts and looking at the early church and this movement of God that started in Jerusalem and spread out to the ends of the earth, that, that, that radically transformed and changed the world. What we see in the book of Acts is the story of struggle and success of the expansion of God's kingdom from Jerusalem into the ends of the earth. And it's full of signs and wonders and miracles of the way the people of God followed God to proclaim the truth about who he is and what he's done in the world. And over the the course of 30 years from the ascension of Jesus that Bruce just read about, within 30 years... A group of 12 people had expanded the gospel from this little town of Rome all the way to the columns of the emperor of Rome. And you see this expansion of the gospel take place. And I think as we dive into small groups and as we begin studying this book, one of the questions we have to wrestle with is, is the book of Acts Prescriptive or is the book of Acts descriptive? And what I mean by that is does the book of Acts tell us what we're supposed to do as the church as we follow the example of the apostles? Or does the book of Acts simply tell us what the early church did, and we're supposed to pull truths from that and and gain wisdom about how we should engage with our own world? I'm not gonna give answers on that question today. I'll let you wrestle with that in small groups, but that's the question before us: is what does it look like to be a faithful witness to Jesus? As we follow the example of the early church. And that's kind of the context for the book of Acts. And as we dive into it, the big idea of the book of Acts is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. That's the big idea of Acts, this this vision, this calling to follow Jesus and to take the message of the gospel, to witness to what Jesus has done out into the entire world. And it's the same mission that's before us today. The question we have to ask in linking ourselves to the early church is what does it mean to be a faithful witness in 2022 and beyond? What does it mean for the church to faithfully witness and what does it mean to even be a witness? What are we witnessing to? To be a witness is to testify and proclaim and demonstrate what you have seen and what you have heard. And so what is it that Jesus is calling us to proclaim about who he is to the world today? And I think the message that he gave to the apostles is the same message that he's asking us to preach to our world today. And I think that when you look at the book of Acts, both in this chapter and throughout the entire book of Acts, there are kind of three themes, three messages that kind of rise to the surface about what it means to proclaim and witness to what Christ has done in the world. And what we see is that the early church really proclaims these three messages, that that Christ is risen, that Christ forgives, and that Christ reigns. And as you look through sermons and messages and, and points in the, gospel, or in, the, in the book of Acts where, where the apostles proclaim the truth of Jesus, this is what they proclaim. That Christ is risen, that Christ forgives, and that Christ reigns. So we're going to take some time to look at each of those three messages and ask ourselves, what does it mean to witness to those things today, to proclaim those truths to our culture today? How do we be a faithful witness to the reality that Christ is risen, Christ forgives, and Christ reigns? So that's where we're going today. And we're going to start hopping straight in to the book of Acts with Christ is risen, this kind of first idea. And it begins in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So what you may not know about the book of Acts is it's actually a sequel book. It's the second part in a series. It's, It's the continuation of the story of the gospel of Luke. And here Luke hinges this new story, the Acts of the Apostles, on the resurrection of Jesus. As Luke's book comes to a close, he says something very similar, that Jesus convinced them with many proofs that he has risen from the dead before he ascended to heaven. And he begins his book with the same reality that Christ rose from the dead. Luke is hinging this entire story on the belief that, that Christianity following Jesus is a, a, an event-based faith. That, that we are a people, as radical as it sounds, who believe there was a moment in time when Jesus was dead and buried, lifeless, and then molecules began to be reknit. A body decomposing reversed that process. Breath returned to his lungs, his heart began beating again, and that Jesus Christ was dead and is now risen. As radical as that sounds, that's the, the foundation of our faith. And you may be sitting here and saying, Yeah, Paul, I get it. That's not new information. That's why I'm here. I've heard this. But I think what's so important for us is to realize that, that as we bear witness to this reality that Christ is risen and, and as we begin to proclaim this truth that Christ is risen, we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to proclaim that truth? What does it mean to witness to the reality that, that our faith is not just based on some book or some belief system or some behavior modification model, but based on an event that Christ was dead and is now risen again? And that that's the center of our faith. I think sometimes we get this wrong and that we think we have to kind of prove the reality of the resurrection to people. We have to to show them all of the historical proof. And I do believe that there's historical proof that Christ rose from the dead. But does anybody remember, um, and this is kind of a game like you might be a Christian millennial who grew up in the church when. um, Do you remember the adventures in Odyssey? Anybody remember Adventures in Odyssey? Okay. So some of you raise your hand. Maybe you even raise kids that listen to this. That was what my family, when we were growing up and we were going on long road trips from Texas to Colorado or Texas to see family, we would listen to the Adventures in Odyssey. And this is, if you're not familiar with it, it's a story of, of a guy named Mr. Whitaker uh, who owns kind of like an ice cream shop that has like a time machine. It's like really weird, but it's an old radio program. That's probably the best way I could describe it. But they go on these adventures um, in all these different ways and there's lessons of faith. But there's one story I remember in particular where Mr. Whitaker, the kind of hero that the, the whole story is based on, he gets word that people have discovered in Israel the bones of Jesus. And that there's a treasure map leading to the bones of Jesus. And there's all this question and intrigue. And it's kind of like an Indiana Jones story of archaeologists trying to go on this long journey to find the truth and and discover what's actually there. And so Mr. Whitaker leads this kind of expedition and all these people are backstabbing. And there's all sorts of intrigue. It's a great story. I would highly recommend it. But as it gets to the point, kind of the concluding point, sorry, spoiler alert. uh, They find the coffin that's said to have the bones of Jesus. And Minister Whitaker has this line to to his friends that are following him and he says, you know what, whatever is found in this coffin, if it is the bones of Jesus himself, that doesn't matter, I will still believe. And I remember being a kid and thinking, that's not it. Like if you actually, if we have definitive proof that Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we all go home. Like, there's no purpose to this faith if Jesus has not risen from the dead. And and if there's definitive proof that we find, and I don't think there is, but our our faith is based on an event and the belief that Jesus was dead and rose again. And if that did not happen, as Paul says, we we are to be pitied above anyone else. Because the fact that Jesus Christ died and has conquered death... Is the whole hope that we hang our faith on. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. So we have to be a people that are convinced of the reality of the resurrection. And we bear witness to that reality in a modern secular culture. Because here's the thing. In our modern secular culture, people don't actually care about what's true. I mean, we've seen example after example after example of people just the truth staring them in the face and saying, nope, don't believe it. I choose this truth. And so if we want to try to convince people with evidence or prove to people something that's true, I don't actually think in our current context that that's the most effective way to witness to the reality of the resurrection. Because people are going to choose to believe what they want to be is true. I think a more effective witness to the reality of the resurrection is not giving people proof that Jesus rose from the dead historically, although it's there. The faithful witness to the reality of the resurrection is living lives of resurrection. That if Jesus rose from the dead and he is still alive and he's ascended onto the throne at the right hand of the father, that he is still at work in this world bringing people back to life. This last week we got to go on staff retreat and we went up to Breckenridge for a couple of days as an entire staff. And it was a beautiful time of of worship and scripture and study and, and encouraging one another and just laughing One of my favorite things about Staff Retreat is that we always pick a few people to share their testimony and their story with us every year. And what was remarkable is in each of these stories, there was radical transformation and trajectory change because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That people who had been through neglect and abuse and brokenness had experienced the power of the resurrection in their lives, it changed them and changed the trajectory of their lives. It changed the trajectory of their families. That is what we believe when we believe that Christ is risen, that he is still alive and still bringing new life to people today. That is what the power of the resurrection does. And and so a faithful witness, a a faithful testimony, a a faithful proclamation that Christ is risen is demonstrating with our lives the power of the resurrection within us. That the power of the resurrection means Jesus can transform and resurrect our dying marriages. That that Jesus, because of the power he has over death, can, can, can conquer the addictions that enslave us and kill us. That because of the power of the resurrection, anxiety and fear and guilt and shame have no place within us because we have been made alive in Jesus Christ. And that is the most powerful testimony, the most powerful witness we can give to a world that's unbelieving. Is that Christ has risen and the proof of that is that he has changed and resurrected us. That we are resurrection people. And so we witness to the power of the resurrection and it changes everything about our lives. I think personally that the expert in our modern day of the resurrection is N.T. Wright. And this is what he says about the way the resurrection changes our lives. He says the point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, and loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly or a little more bearable. Until the day when we leave it all behind altogether, as the hymn so mistakenly puts it. I love the British kind of like cheekiness there. They, they are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom now. See, the resurrection changes everything about how we engage with the world. Because we believe that death is not the end of our stories. But that we have a hope in something beyond us and so we proclaim with our changed and transformed lives our resurrected lives that Jesus is the hope of the world because he has conquered death. But not only like the early church do we proclaim that Christ is risen, we also proclaim that Christ forgives that that Christ forgives. And in order to kind of get there, you will see this all throughout the book of Acts as we study the book of Acts. in sermon after sermon and message after message as they proclaim the reality of what Jesus has done. A phrase that comes up throughout the book is that Jesus Christ offers forgiveness for our sins. But in order to get there, it, you actually don't see it in the beginning of chapter 1. You see it going all the way back to the end of the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24. These are the last words of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And notice the similarity of how Luke ends the Gospel of Luke in Jesus' last words, in his first words in the book of Acts. He told them, This is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So you see it there again, the reality of the resurrection. But the other message we preach is the the forgiveness of sins to all nations beginning in Jerusalem, expanding out into all the world. The forgiveness of sins is what Christ does for us through the power of the resurrection. Now how do we proclaim and witness to the reality that Christ forgives in our current context today? And I think this is honestly a deeply challenging part of our faith in our world today. Because, how do you proclaim to a world that they're in need of forgiveness when they don't believe in sin? I mean, how do we proclaim to a world that doesn't believe it's in need of forgiveness that the good news of Jesus is that He forgives? You see, we live in a world where people really don't want categories for right or wrong or good or evil. We have no category for sin anymore. We are a culture completely untethered from God. And in doing that, we're like the earth untethered from its orbit around the sun. We have no gravitational pull on morality anymore. And so how do we proclaim that that there is such a thing as sin and that Christ has come to forgive it when people don't think that they're sinful and don't think they're in need of forgiveness? the, The truth is that even as our culture kind of just full steam ahead into this relativity around morality, the truth is that they're still searching. We're all still searching for something to tether morality to. A great example of that. I just came across this week is uh, this is weird pop culture reference. You're probably gonna hate it, but whatever. I think it kind of helps us get where we're going. Uh, anybody see the news about Leonardo DiCaprio, the actor, and how he broke up with uh, his girlfriend? And he, he's 47 years old, and he broke up with a girlfriend who was 25. And apparently, he's never dated anyone that's older than 25. No matter how old he gets, he just stays under 25. And, and everybody is freaking out and like saying, That's wrong, that's gross, you shouldn't do that. And my question is, Why? not that way (laughs) Um, dang it i did this last night and i told myself i was going to say it in a different way and then i still just walked into it and said it i know that it's not good to date someone that's under 25 when you're over 45 that's not why i'm asking the question (laughs) in a culture that doesn't have any case for morality the question is why is what he's doing wrong like who are you to tell him it's wrong if nothing is wrong or sinful See, the truth is we want categories of right or wrong. We want justice for people who wage war. We want justice for corrupt politicians. We don't want murderers to get away with murder. We want there to be some semblance of right or wrong, good and evil categories. We just don't want in our culture for someone to define that for us. And when people start trying to define it for other people and say, you can't do this, the question is why? When you've untethered morality from any sense of of higher being, there's no reason you can give for why someone can't do whatever they want. And so the truth is we are in desperate need of someone pointing out to us that we are sick and dying with a disease that, that we need cured. And that disease is sin. You know, no one can really diagnose for themselves that they have cancer growing within their body. We need someone to look at the scans and understand the tests and tell us, like, there is something going on with inside you. We may see the symptoms and we may feel the effects, but we cannot diagnose ourselves. We need scripture and Jesus to tell us that we're sick. But the beauty of the gospel... And the message we have is not just that God is a doctor who who tells us that we're sick. He is a doctor who can heal us of our incurable disease called sin. And that he's not just a good doctor. He is a loving father that that does not hate us because of our sin. But similar to a father who sees their child sick with some disease, they don't hate their child because they're sick. They hate the cancer that's within their child. That is the the loving father that we have. He does not hate you because of your sin. He wants to cure and heal us of our sin. That's the message that we proclaim. There's a beautiful book called Gentle and Lowly by a pastor named Dane Ortland. And I just want to read for a moment what he says about the reality of forgiveness and the problem of sin in our lives. And I'm actually not going to put it on the screen. I want you to just hear these words, and if you even need to, you can can simply close your eyes and listen to the reality of the beauty of Christ's forgiveness. Jesus' forgiveness means that the things about you that make you cringe the most make him hug hardest. It means his mercy is not calculating and cautious like ours. It is unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, magnanimous. It means the haunting shame is not a problem for him, but the very thing he loves most to redeem. It means our sins do not cause his love to take a hit or to be restrained. Our sins cause his love to surge forward all the more. It means that one day when we stand before him quietly and unhurriedly, We will weep with relief, shocked at how impoverished a view of his mercy we had. See, the beauty of the message of Christ's forgiveness is that when we come to him for forgiveness, he does not resentfully offer it. He's not annoyed when we come and say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. He gives it freely, openly, happily. Jesus loves to redeem the parts of our stories that make us cringe the most. That's the beauty of his forgiveness. And to be a faithful witness to the reality of Christ's forgiveness in our lives is is to live a life of forgiveness. The, The way we apply this is that we forgive as we have been forgiven. That, that when people in our lives hurt or wound us, we don't hold grudges like the rest of the world does. We offer redemption and forgiveness because that is what Jesus Christ has offered us. In a culture that has no categories for redemption or reconciliation, but, but simply punishes and cancels people when they screw up, what good news is it that we can never do something for which God will cancel us? That is the beauty. Of Christ's forgiveness. So we proclaim and we testify and demonstrate with our lives that Christ is risen and that Christ forgives. But we also proclaim the truth that Christ reigns. Going back to the beginning of Acts, the first three verses, he goes on to say, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. But he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now think about that for a moment. Christ dies, rises from the dead, and spends 40 days with his disciples. That's all he had, 40 days before he ascended to his throne in heaven. He could have spoken to them about anything in the world. And he chose to give them a a 40-day crash course in what the kingdom of God is and how they're supposed to live into the kingdom of God. And the disciples in this passage, and actually they ask him, Jesus, is now the time that you're going to establish your kingdom? Is now the time that you are going to come and rule and reign? And it's an interesting question because if you pay attention to Luke's gospel, it's a question that the disciples repeatedly ask and repeatedly get wrong. They continually ask, Jesus, is now the time that you're going to come and and, and bring your kingdom? Is now the time that you're going to establish Israel as the place of your rule and reign? And you're going to kick out Rome and we're going to make our nation the way that it was supposed to be and then bring it back to God? Is now the time? And you see them ask questions like, Jesus, okay, now is the time, so so can I be at your right hand? Can I be one of the most powerful people in your new kingdom? Can I be your advisor? Or it's why when Jesus is arrested, Peter picks up his sword to fight those who are trying to arrest Jesus. Because he thinks now is the time. Now we're going. Now is the time that we're going to bring the nation of Israel back and conquer Rome, kick them out because the Messiah has come. And they miss the heart of what Jesus continually preached and told them throughout his life. And now, post-resurrection, after he suffered and died and rose again before his resurrection, he tries to help them understand what his kingdom actually looks like. And what the disciples come to terms with, why Jesus had to talk about this so much, is they begin to realize that following Jesus looks a lot more like picking up your cross than taking up your sword. That the way of Jesus, the kingdom of God, is the way of self-sacrificial love, of laying down your life for your enemies, not taking your nation back and kicking all of the evil people out. And he shifts their paradigm and says, yes, I rule and I reign, but my kingdom is unlike any other kingdom ever, and that it does not come through power. And it does not come through conquering. It does not come through war. It comes through laying down your life, self-sacrificial love, following my way of loving your enemies and dying to self. It's this radical shift in their perspective. And the reality is that the kingdom of God is the reality that shapes our entire worldview. It, It shapes everything about who we are as the people of God. See, the gospel is the good news that God's kingdom has come near in Jesus Christ. And through his life, death, resurrection, and enthronement, the powers of sin and death and evil no longer have the last word. But it also means that we live as citizens in that kingdom and not the kingdoms of this world. See, the kingdom is where the renewal of all things takes place. It's the place where Eden is restored. so the place where the entire creation is made new. And that is happening now in the present as Christ rules on his throne through the movement and expansion of his kingdom in this world. You know, I often hear it said, and I believe I've even said, probably from this stage, that the church is God's plan to save the world. And I have to apologize because that's simply not true. The church is not God's plan to save the world. Jesus is God's plan to save the world. And the kingdom is how he goes about doing that. And the church is a part of the kingdom as we follow the way of Jesus. But it is not up to us. It's why Jesus says throughout this this passage that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift my father has promised. You will be empowered by his presence to proclaim these truths. Because my kingdom is advancing and I want you to be a part of it, not because it is dependent on you. So faithful proclamation to the good news of the kingdom is that we join this story, we join this movement. And yes, we're the hands and the feet and we move with God in this space. But the good news that Christ reigns is that he reigns. It is finished. He has done it. And we live in that reality and bear witness to that reality of his self-giving, sacrificial love. See, I think the greatest apologetic about the kingdom of God and the truth about who Jesus is is someone authentically living out a compassionate love for others due to their faith in Jesus. Genuine love born out of real faith. See, it's so easy as the people of God to denounce what God is against Or what we think or perceive God might be against. It is another thing entirely to tell people the good news of the kingdom. That God is for them. Has died for them. Rules and reigns on his throne now. And is making all things new. That's the good news that we proclaim. N.T. Wright again, he puts it perfectly and beautifully when he says this. Our task as image-bearing, God-loving, Christ-shaped, spirit-filled Christians following Christ and shaping our world is to announce redemption to a world that has discovered its fallenness. To announce healing to a world that has discovered its brokenness. To proclaim love and trust to a world that knows only exploitation, fear, and suspicion. The gospel of Jesus points us and indeed urges us to be at the leading edge of the whole culture articulating in story and music and art and philosophy and education and poetry and politics, theology, and even heaven help us Bible studies. Again, love the British cheekiness. (laughs) A worldview that will mount the historically rooted Christian challenge to both modernity and postmodernity, leading the way with joy and humor and gentleness, good judgment and true wisdom. See, we step into the world as followers of Jesus and proclaim the reality that Christ reigns, that Christ rules, and he is bringing about redemption. It is not up to us to make sure God's kingdom comes. It has come in the person of Jesus, and we testify, witness to it, build for it, but it is being built by Jesus himself. And so we have to learn to pick up our cross and lay down our sword. That following Jesus is not about winning arguments. It's about lovingly liberating people from the things that enslave them. It's not about waging culture wars. It's about washing feet. That is the beauty, of the message we have that we proclaim to a world in need. To be faithful witnesses to that reality that Christ reigns is to live a life of self-sacrificial love. Where people look at us and don't say, look at how much they love power, but look at the power of their love. Because of what we have experienced in the person of Jesus Christ. And So the message that we bear witness to is the same message that was given to the apostles in the book of Acts. That, that Christ is risen that Christ is forgiven and that Christ reigns. And it is a message that has been preached in the holy city of Jerusalem, expanded to the places of Athens and Greece, all the way to the column of, of the house of the emperor of Rome by the end of the book of Acts. And it has been preached beyond there throughout time to us today. Is the message that we cling to and it is the message that we testify to. Not just in word, but in living lives that demonstrate the reality of the resurrection. The forgiveness that we have received and the reality that Christ reigns in this world. And so I, I wonder what it looks like for us to proclaim that message to our world today see, I think the challenge for many of us is that that this message, it's useful at different points in different places in time. And we have to have wisdom as witnesses in how we proclaim these truths. How we tell people about the gospel. How we tell people about the good news of Christ's risen resurrection, the, the, the reality of his forgiveness and the truth of his reign and his kingdom. We have to wisely navigate our world to proclaim these truths to a world that needs these stories told. What does it look like for us to demonstrate these truths, to live lives of resurrection and forgiveness and self-sacrificial love under the banner of Christ's kingdom? As we come to a close today, where Maddie's going to lead us in a new song. Uh, And it really hits at the heart of everything we talked about today. I um, actually hadn't heard this song until last night. So it's just one of those God things. But, but I would encourage you as we step into this new song to, to maybe not stand right away. To, as the band plays and sings, to, to listen to these words, reflect on these words, and ask ourselves, where might God be calling us to demonstrate the truth of his resurrection, forgiveness, and reign to a world that's in desperate need of those realities? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father. God, we thank you for the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you that because of his resurrection, death has been con- conquered, and that we can experience resurrection in this life now and into eternity. God, we thank you for the good news that we can be forgiven of the things that, that make us cringe most deeply about ourselves, the things that that cause us to, to detest ourselves. That, God, you offer forgiveness and healing from the shame and guilt. And, God, we thank you for the reality that Christ reigns on his throne now and forevermore. Amen. And it's in his name that we pray these things.